This podcast is a project of the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency committed to building creative communities and inspiring creative minds. I think that is the number one thing. It has to be the, the group of people that see the vision, share the vision, can articulate it, and can build on it. So it's one thing to have the idea and say, we want to do this, we want to do that. But somebody or a group of us to say, okay, what's the first step? Hello, I'm Anita Walker, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Our guest today is Tony Beadle, the Executive Director of Rockport Music, and welcome to our program. Thank you. Now, Tony, I've known you for a while, but one of the things that I still sit in awe when I think about is the first time that I went to Rockport and I visited the Rockport Chamber Music Festival, which was a fairly small organization that did how many concerts a year? They did about 20 concerts 20, every summer over yeah, a five-week period. In like folding chairs in the little art gallery? In an art gallery across the street from our current location. And uh, the amazing part was that uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Sunday of every week for five weeks was a concert. And every afternoon they'd set up 250 chairs and then have the concert and take them down because it was going to be an art gallery the next morning again and with people walking through it. So that, that was an indicator of the love and devotion for the organization. So now, now, how many concerts a year? Oh boy, I think we're over about average about 120 concerts and events, we call them, like Metropolitan Opera, National Theater, uh, high def broadcasts, and uh, we just, we just keep going and don't look back every year. <laughs> and you are in the beautiful Shailen Liu uh, Performance Center, which uh, if you haven't been to Rockport, whoever is listening, you just drop everything, take the podcast with you, but get in the car and head up there. Because I think it is one of the most stunning, um, beautiful facilities, but not just in, in and of itself, in the way it is so much of a fabric of its environment. From the Main Street side, where it looks like it could have been there since the turn of the century, or the other century, not the more recent one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, to the way it, it really embraces the ocean out of its window. Talk a little bit about it. Well, I, th I think uh, the, the Board of Trustees, when the search came, uh, started, uh, because they wanted an, a new venue and a great place to hear classical chamber music, they, as I like to say, they dove for the top. They tried to get uh, the request for proposals to the leading architects in the area who had some concert hall experience. And uh, the, the firm, Epstein Jocelyn Architects, uh, was, was a new firm, although they had both worked with uh, a Ron, Bill Ron and Associates. And they had, uh, they had this unique uh, aspect to their proposal, and that was making the back of the stage a two-story window. And not only that, they were, had exhibited ver a very sensitive uh, approach to the streetscape, as you pointed out, but also that the internal uh, decora decoration and appurtenances were all uh, sort of related to the beach color spectrum. So when you go in there, you'll see, you'll see stones along the wall that uh, some people from time to time asked that we get them from the beach. They're not. They're, they're from Thailand, I think. And and uh, the colors, the color scheme of the place, but they also uh, got bring a great acoustician to come in and uh, to develop this, the the size and the space for acoustic purposes as well. So it's really quite a miracle, and it, for m me, it always shows what uh, an idea has power over everything. Because who would have thought that this little organization would have built and paid for now a twenty million dollar building? So. 
let's talk about how you get from Rockport Chamber Music to the Shailen Lu as an organization. Um, to go there now and to see the facility, even if nothing is playing, it's just a great experience because mm -hmm. it is such a beautiful work of art in and of itself, not to mention the programming, which it's probably a small part of your job. It is. But what is it like to go from a handful of weekend concerts a year to this regular dynamic programming? What did it mean to your organization? Um, well, when I joined the organization, uh, they had a strategic plan. This is a, a great example of a small organization really running true to you know the way it should be run. And it was a volunteer board. There were, I think, uh, maybe two, two and a half full-time uh, employees when I got there. And so my job was to exploit the hall and run the hall. Uh, and they, in this strategic plan, I, I don't recall the exact number, but I, I'm thinking they probably had the idea of like 15 to 20 additional concerts a year. And, and when you lay that out on a calendar, there's an awful lot of empty time there still. So we had to uh, think about how we were going to uh, keep uh, the op building operating financially. And you can't turn off the heat in the winter. It has to be going, so you might as well be doing stuff. And um, so I began to uh, then think about that and to think about the fact that this was a new location, a new venue. No one on earth knew who or where it was, really, except for local people and people who had gone to the Chamber Music Festival. So that was a big challenge, but every challenge is an opportunity, as we know. And uh, I like to say to people that I was going to throw everything up against the wall and see what would stick in terms of the kinds of concerts uh, we, we were going to do. And, and, and the problem is most of it stuck. <laughs> so it, was, is no, it, is, it is a, first and foremost, a classical music uh, venue, meaning unamplified. However, it does lend itself very well to amplified music uh, up to a certain point. So jazz is fine, blues is fine, popular music is fine. Where where we draw the line, just because of the expected uh, loud uh, sound, is uh, rock bands, and it's, it's sort of that's a, in a way that's a clash of culture. And there are other venues that do it better than we can down the road. So uh, we don't we don't usually hire rock bands. Uh, it's just too loud the, because the building the sound really amps up quickly because it's built for a string quartet. So, but everything everything stuck. So. I think in the first year I started out gently. I think I probably did 50 to 60 concerts, and then every year as we people got to know the place and we got some traction, and at the same time we were building the brand. We so we had great discussions about the brand of Rockport Music, and the branding exercise had happened before I got there. Even where they changed the organization's name from Rockport Chamber Music Festival to Rockport just Rockport Music because they knew they were going to be doing more than the Chamber Music Festival. And that was that was great. Well, what what nobody realized was that the the brand or the biggest feature, the biggest differentiator of our brand compared to other uh, organizations was the venue. So now it, the brand is the building, and the and so what you have to do is build, find the the differentiators you have from the other venues, and then also to associate the the building with types of music or quality of music. And so we like to think, we, do we try to find, you know, as Arthur Fiedler would say, I, we play that about the pops, we play one kind of music, the good kind. So, <laughs> so that's sort of like what we feel, uh, that philosophy sort of permeates Rockport music. And, and you mentioned the location, Rockport, which is this idyllic, lovely uh, mm -hmm. seaside uh, community, but it's not particularly large. 
And so where is your audience coming from on a regular basis? Well, it varies on the time of the year. And you're right, uh, Rockport is a, if anybody wants to go there, and it's a lovely uh, trip to take up to, uh, to it, you, you feel like you've stepped in, into past. As I tell people, I feel like I'm on the set of that old show, Northern Exposure, or uh, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but the, uh, uh, the, the, the audience comes from in th the summer, it's about 60, 60 to eight, uh, percent or 70 percent off Cape Ann. So, so the summer tourists, people who plan their vacations, uh, the greater Boston metro area. Uh, in, the, in the winter, it's, it skews a little bit, and it's 50, 40 to 50 each of, on Cape Ann and off of Cape Ann. But, but our, our biggest um, uh, area of where we get audience is actually metro Boston after, after Cape Ann proper. What was your biggest fear when you took a look at this venue and the, all the days on the calendar that you could fill in? What was your, what did you think the biggest challenge, finding product or finding people? Uh, finding product was not a problem. Uh, the, the thing was the economics of it because its strength is that it's only 334 seats. And when you do the math of, you know, a ticket, as you know, every, a ticket prices only pay for ha half or whatever that, that uh, percentages of your overall cost. So I had a lot of overhead because I have to keep the building running and everything and I had to buy, build a staff, I have built a team. We have, we have uh, about 13 full-time employees right now. Uh, so my worry was that we were going to be able to find the um, resources for non-earned income because you know it's not like you have a 2,000 seat theater uh, you were 300 so but we have to be competitive in pricing at the same time uh, we can charge more in the summer because it is a tourist mm -hmm. destination but uh, in the, the good news is that as it became to be seen as a more of a community resource and and that speaks to our education and outreach and and people that move to Rockport or to Cape Ann and they love the idea that they can you know hear some of the world's great music right in their backyard that they've become donors, and we have a great, very generous donor base. And and, and you were you really built that up with uh, with a little help from my friends <laughs> and my board of trustees and and people who have been advocates for Rockport music. Well, and first everything. you raised the twenty one million for the facility, so that, that was they, one test that's right. of the marketplace. That's, that's right. That exactly. And uh, so there. So uh, right now, and we're in a fundraising capital campaign for the. We want to secure our future. And and the you know the the generosity is all there. I mean, we're still in a you know a quiet phase, but it's there, and people want to have this hall and feel it's very important. And the the most amazing thing was, I was I was told because I came when the building was about half finished, that there was a great uproar in Rockport, as you might imagine, when the whole idea came, and there had to be a zoning variance to get the building. Or the old there was an older building there that had to be raised and then a new building built and the, the architects and, the, and some board members every Saturday would go up to Rockport and have an open house in the, in the old building and just to tell everybody and what we were, gonna, what we were about and everything and, and when I got there people were worried that this was going to be a rock palace or <laughs> God knows what. Uh, and, uh, and now, you know, we are uh, mostly because I think we, we said we did what we said we did and what they promised, and that was to be uh, open to the community and to be uh, 
an asset to the community and to try to help the community, which we do. I mean, we, we do a lot. Of, we do about one free concert a month, I would say, um, and not always, uh, you know, just the local amateur talent. It's not that at all. Uh, for example, in December, I think we had the Dover String Quartet. Well, they're, they're award-winning and they're, they're, you know, very busy playing concerts, uh, but they came to Rockport and they did a, a three days in the I think three days in the schools with outreach, mm -hmm. and then they come and play a free concert to the community. So those kinds of I don't know if that one some we charge for I think we actually did, but, a, but most of like the, mm -hmm. in that that kind of a scenario we have the concerts for free, but the uh, so that's it's giving back and the and the Rockport schools use our hall for their school bands and jazz and it's quite a developed arts magnet you might say school there. High school um, kids come from other towns because of the arts program there, and so it's well developed. So we have a lot. Of, we give them the free use of the hall too. And then you also have the, your income stream from the rental of the uh, beautiful venue for. I would imagine every bride in Rockport wants <laughs> to have their and reception beyond, there. And beyond, <laughs> it, it is a wonderful place for a wedding ceremony and a small reception. And when I say small, probably 200 people can fit in there, or 150 for dinner. Uh, and we, uh, so that's a part of the business. We have, uh, you know, we've had funerals, we have, as I said, weddings, business meetings. We also have uh, fundraisers for other organizations where they have their own concerts and bring in, hire an artist and bring in and, and do a concert and then have a reception or a party. So that's, that, that's an asset too to everybody because it, it's available. And uh, uh, we also, uh, do a lot of business with the main hall as a recording studio. So uh, we just had uh, our artistic director who's leaving, David DeVoe, do, we did a recording just last week with the Borromeo Quartet that'll be out on, uh, on Steinway piano. Uh, they have their own label, so that, that's his second recording for them. Uh, but we've had ESPN do videos, shoots there. Uh, the Disney Channel did a Sort of a, a music video associated with some pilot. I mean, I, I don't know. And we've we've had you know as you might expect any location, uh, many location people from the movies that are filmed up there all the time, come in and take a look. That hasn't happened yet, but it will mm -hmm. someday mm -hmm. when they need a concert hall. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you reflect over the last what about ten years since, right? Or has it been that long? Uh, we're we're in our eighth year. Eight years. Um, uh, Again, I look at the trajectory and the success of that um, of that move from the Chamber Music yeah. Society to what you are now, and the sensitivity and the way that has just been such a perfect fit for that community, um, and a community that somebody would have predicted really there aren't enough year-round people to make a go of it. So, it, as you look back, as you as you write your memoir about this experience, <laughs> not that you're going anywhere, what are the big takeaways that you'd put on the table from from that, from that, moving from the, the the little chamber society to what you have now, um, I think this. I mean, this is all you know. This is it's. You might this might sound paranormal or new agey, but it's really true. Like I said earlier, that that you know, as you as you think, so shall it be. And this group of people were determined. That, I mean, half of them are still on our board and so or are associated with the organization. They're, they're determined to, to build a home and, and to have a place for the chamber music that they love. And that is, um, I think that is the number one thing. It has to be the, the group of people that see the vision, share the vision, can articulate it, and can build on it. 
so it's one thing to have the idea and say, we want to do this, we want to do that. But somebody or a group of people has to say, okay, what's the first step? You know, call Mass Cultural Council. I think they did. For, you're probably among, I think it was before you came, but it was among the first calls they made. Maybe you were here. Well, I actually, it's when we started Cult Facilities Fund, and they came in for a, a, a planning. They came in for a capital grant. Right. And we, uh, our staff, talked them into one step back, get a planning grant. That's right. Which they did. And then they were like the top scorer of the capital grant when they came in the next year. Yes, well, there, there you have it, because they probably spent a lot of time and a lot of meetings. I mean, I remember when I got here, there was probably, you know, umpteen meetings every week of, of things about the building, things about, you know, just the usual nonprofit stuff, but then you had a building in progress. And um, so it's quite amazing. And I said, for me, you know, the other takeaway too is that I, I would say that. Um, I was. I feel privileged that I got to build an organization, in, in without dysfunction. So a staff, you know, usually you come into a job like this, you know, you you inherit dysfunction and you, you decide what you can live with or what's gonna what has to change or whatever. It's the human condition, right? It's no 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 one has spared that. But I didn't have to change dysfunction so much, as as to create. <laughs> <laughs> and and I have a great team, and I've had very little turnover, so I'm I'm grateful. And uh, I have a I, I I'll talk about my staff for hours if you let me. And what a great job they do. Well, you forgot to talk about yourself and your own leadership that you provided, and uh, the vision that you saw when you stepped into a project that was as ambitious as this, and have seen it to its full blossom and bloom in Rockport. Tony Beadle, who is executive director of the Rockport Music our creative mind out loud. Thank you very much. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.